We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is not here. Uh, he's in New York, actually, right now. Uh, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is our commentary track for August 2019. And we'll be talking, in honor of its 20th anniversary, The Iron Giant from director Brad Bird. This is the animated staple for many people of the iron giant and joining me to discuss this film we have from wise to blue and the cult cinema cavalcade podcast he's taking a detour from coolsville it's brandon peters dominic toretto's big on family and family films <laughs> also joining us from the milky way blues he is not a gun it's yancey burns hey guys glad to be here good got no jokes for you okay <laughs> well how are you doing this evening i'm good brandon how are you doing i'm terrific good I am excited to talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. We uh, we've only we've only Toy Story last year was our first animated commentary that we've done. Mm-hmm. By which I mean we had a we hired an intern to draw us doing the commentary for yes. an animated film. It was very labor intensive, and then only recorded audio. Exa- yeah, only yeah, exactly. It was it was a nonsensical project, but it all worked out in the end because it was a good commentary track. So yeah, we have our <laughs> second animated film commentary track this time. A hand drawn this this time around, and it should be fun. I think there's a lot to talk about with this film and Brad Bird in general. Um, so what we're going to do here, if you don't know, if you don't know how these commentary tracks work, uh, basically we're going to talk over the film as it plays with the film's volume all the way down, obviously, so you can hear us talk all about the movie. I will say right now, Brad Bird and a number of people have a great commentary track on this movie. If you want to hear them, be sure to do that. Then come back and hear us, who had nothing to do with the making of this movie, talk about it as well, because I'm sure we're going to have some interesting things to say. Uh, but yeah, if you plan to watch it, we have the movie. We're watching the um, the signature edition version of this film, which came with the Blu-ray. It's like the 90-minute version of this movie. So if you plan to watch the movie along with us, do, do you know make sure to choose that option and uh, sit down and pause it at about 10 seconds in on the sound of Go!, uh, Brandon, Nancy, and I are going to just press play on our players here and just start talking. If you're just sitting to, you know, relax and listen, you, you're good. You got to do nothing at all. You're you're just set. You're, you're ready to enjoy the Iron Giant in this way. Uh, but yeah, you guys ready? Yeah. Yep. All right. Three, two, one. Go. All right. So we're, we're watching what the, the last hand-drawn Warner Brothers animated movie. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. They haven't done it. Like, they've done, obviously, they have, like, the Lego, but they have, like, you know, their other 3D animated movies. But have they done another animated hand drawn movie? I assume not, right? What studio did Titan AE? That's Fox. Fox, okay. That was one of their last, like, like animated movies. That was the same year, too. That was the same year. Yeah. Yeah. Sputnik, right? Mm hmm. Sputnik. CG. uh, Sputnik keeps coming back in this movie, too. You keep seeing it in the sky. Yeah. Which is a pretty neat detail. I like how this movie opens like a Godzilla movie. I'm just getting that out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> get, it out of your, get it out of your system. Get out of the system. <laughs> like, there's, you know, there's King Ghidorah coming down from space. Right, <laughs> and, yep. And then God, Godzilla's in the one. Um, so, this movie. When did everyone see this movie? I mean, obviously, it flopped at the box office. Um, so I was not on, many people on saw it in theaters. Home video. You saw it on home video. Yeah, I did do. I did go see Titan AE in the theater. <laughs> I like Titan AE. By the I way. did. It's, it's pretty standard, like hero's journey movie, but I still like it. It's fun. Yeah. 
I, I saw this. Uh, I'm old enough to have said, I saw this when it came out. No, I saw it at a sneak preview. I saw it like, you know, the, they used to do like two weeks before they would attach it to another movie. Uh, I think I had heard the buzz that it was a really good movie. And so I went along to see it. And But I didn't know enough about it yet. So it was kind of a surprise. And I was really blown away by it. Hmm. Um, yeah. Not only did I not see this movie in theaters, I didn't see this movie till like years later. Like it, it had, well, of course. It, it, had, it had gotten to the point where it was like a Thanksgiving staple. Like I believe Cartoon Network was just like playing it 24 hours a day on Thanksgiving. Like that was the mm. thing. And like once it got to that point, that's when I actually saw the movie in full for the first time. I feel like already just with that shot of the Iron Giant looming over the fisherman, you can tell it's going to be a good movie <laughs> just from the, 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 the strong graphic nature of that intro, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, there's such a this reminds me of the Beast of the 20,000 from the 20,000 Fathoms, by the way. The Intentionally, I'm sure. Yeah. That lighthouse. And yeah, there's like, there's some kaiju aspects to this movie. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the the animation is stunning. And I, like we're watching this version of the film, which has like some tinkering to kind of even make it look more impressive. But even, you know, back in 99, the way it looked like it, it had everything that you kind of would like to see in a movie like this that comes out at that time, but seems to have a, you know, a nostalgic uh, uh, joy for the, the, this era and just the nature of hand-drawn animation at a time when 3D animation was certainly becoming more and more popular. Yeah, look at what you lose, man. Look at those. This may be the wrong, wrong word, but look at those impressionistic trees in the background you would never get that uh, in a cg movie i don't think unless it was really artfully done um because the idea is to go for super clarity but when he's riding his bike down to this cafe it looks like the background of any disney movie from the 50s you know it's beautifully mm-hmm. vaguely painted uh trees instead of these harshly defined or out of focus trees it's it's you know it it's interesting because you have brad bird who's a guy, he was like he was a hot shot when he first joined Disney, which he he was you know he he walked away from to basically do other things and eventually do this movie. But he he was like a young Hachi. He's like he came in and he's like, all right, I'm going to learn from these guys. So I'm going to do my thing as well. Like he he talks about this in the the, the Giant's Dream um, documentary that comes with this uh, with this Blu-ray. Like he had some he had some forward thinking ideas that certainly went against the grain of what Disney was out to do. At the same time, just what you're saying, Yancey, like he certainly learned from Disney as well. Like exactly what you're oh, talking yeah. about. Like there's you know, he he may have had like ways he wanted to go with what he wanted to do in animation, but at the same time, he was certainly inspired and like loved the idea of like having having so much Disney influence, like you know, make its way into like what the what kind of feature he was making. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's the rare animated movie that's also in scope, at least see uh, hand drawn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a few Disney movies like the Black Cauldron and the. Uh, Lady and the Tramp and Sleeping Beauty, but it almost feels like if there had been a Warner Brothers animation all along, the same movie there was Warner Brothers animated shorts like Bugs Bunny, if there had been like standalone Warner Brothers animated features all those years, this feels like it would have been one of them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it doesn't look nice. It doesn't feel like a Disney, exactly. It doesn't feel like a Disney movie. It feels a little more, I don't know, Looney Tunes, I guess. I guess the XO, there are the direct-to-video like DC animated movies, which are, you know, they're not. They're not three D animated movies. I'm trying to like look. Osmosis Jones um, comes close. Osmosis that, Jones because that's yeah. a hybrid. That's a hybrid movie of, mm-hmm. of action and, and animation. But yeah, like it was started, was but, Home on the Range out yet? That was the Dis- last Disney, Disney yeah. hand drawn. I know that well, for a minute before uh, Princess and the Frog happened. And... Well, there was a no, gap. That, but there no, was a gap the between those. 
Well, Princess, yeah, that was the last one, but that was like a return. Yeah, that was that when was the they whole... did Princess and the Frog. It was like, oh, they're yeah, going like, back. Like Lassiter came in, he's like, guys, it's me, it's Mankin, we're gonna do this thing again. The audiences are like, we'll kind of see it, but not really. And then they just are like, all right, I guess we're in. Uh, they'll, I bet you they gamble and do another one eventually. Oh, yeah, it's the, it's, well, it's it the we- doesn't it's, age. You no, know? it doesn't, but it's the weird thing, just like how we're like praising the idea of being able to see a movie on 35 millimeter film in the theaters now. It's the yeah. same kind of glide, just like, we're doing that thing <clears throat> again. Like, we're doing, we're doing this thing that we've done for, you know, decades before we just stopped doing it. And that's what's the appeal now. Right, because it's what you can't have. Some things uh, fall out of fashion and become unappealing as the years go on, and some don't. And hand-drawn animation, there's no reason that would ever not be something that's charming to see. Just like stop-motion animation would never... It, it's it's too obviously the product of such hard work that's so easy to tell by looking at it that it's always going to have a value and a, and a and, charm I mean, to it. It's well, weird, I but think... it's weird that it, people are nostalgic for something that they could have had if they didn't reject it. <laughs> True. Yeah, well, but who rejected it? I mean, I think, you know. I, I, think well, I mean, they, bo- I mean, box office receipts tell a story. I mean, as far as what movies are making money versus aren't, right? That's, that's not. I'm not saying that's were the there defi- were a lot. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the defining factor, but I do think it plays a big role. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, were there were there a lot of practical effects movies that were bombing while the CG movies were, were being were, were hitting? I mean, look at right now as far as the spectacle films that come out and which ones. Well, are I'm saying. Well, I, not to get off topic, but I just saw, I just saw one big spectacle film, and I, and I thought, God, this is this is really too much CG. There must be there a mandate where they have where they think everybody wants everything to be CG, and I don't think everybody does. I didn't think of that about Midsommar. <laughs> <laughs> does any, okay, so we're no, I, I, I don't want to before we go keep going off these tangents. We're talk, let's talk about this movie a little bit that we're talking over all the introductions of these characters before we get to the voice cast, which I think is pretty terrific <coughs> movie. Has anyone ever put whipped cream in a Twinkie and made a bigger Twinkie? I only works in hand-drawn animation, man. We're <laughs> the, the Mythbusters on that one. That's what I'm asking. Like, let's, let's get that Had going. this movie been a hit, had this movie been a hit, it would have been all the rage. <laughs> People would have been whipping Twinkies out and putting their, their whipped cream you would canisters have to... in them. You would have to put it on a plate, I think, or you would rupture that Twinkie all over your well, hands. This, I mean, this has got to be the new Out Now Challenge. The next time I'm with you and Peter, we're going to get some Twinkies and some whipped cream, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, my. Um, Interesting. Now, I, I wanted to yeah, point yeah. out something, too. You were talking about the, uh, you know, people going back to the older thing. I think a lot of things, too, quality people have realized. Uh, digital, digital with everything was like a hot new thing, and it was saving space. It was like futuristic technology stuff but now we're kind of learning that uh things look better uh, overall they you know on film uh and then like with music as well the cd was a lot of it was more convenient easy to use but it was compressed you know yeah. music sounding yeah. so a lot of it's backtracking which i feel like physical media will at some point make a comeback because so people too. realize streaming has uh cannot handle blacks no matter how right uh, right. they're always comp- they're always crushed and and things like that um and plus not everything's getting on the streaming right stuff i have or, no or shame when i look at my giant collection of blu-rays i'm like yeah right. this is gonna be awesome in 10 years no one's gonna i'm gonna save the world I one will, day i will say but between i mean com- compression is one thing but in terms of the use of digital filmmaking versus shooting on film i there are it does come down to how you use that as a tool for what true. you want That's to put true. out visually. Because there true. are directors that you know how to... You make a good film, there, no one cares. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but there also there are directors that 
are not just trying to shoot something because they want to shoot it or trying to shoot something on digital to make it look like film. There are people that very much embrace the world of digital filmmaking. Like, uh, David those, Fincher makes... Well, of I mean, course, David of Fincher, course. of course. Steven uh, Soderbergh, of course. Like, they're ones that... There are tours that are not just being like, I'm making it this way, but I want it to look like this. There are ones that are yeah. embracing the format. But yeah, because we have the, the anybody Cameron, can shoot on it because I mean, it's... Like... Yeah, because I'll even it, include Mr. George Lucas in that group uh, as someone who was a serious filmmaker making movies using CG for good oh, cause. Yeah. If he, if he before made being more, chased out of town with pitchforks. If he made more movies where I could really see him do it now, because I think part of my problem with Attack of the Clones is it just doesn't look very good. But I, um... I you know, 2002. But I watched Attack of the Clones recently, and everything that is done in CG is obviously something that's conceptually it's something no, yeah, conceptually, conceptually interesting. Yes, I mean it's just more, that's not it's... true of Endgame. Endgame has so much. CG stuff that didn't need to be CG. That's not more interesting because of the freedom they're given by the CG. Lucas is really using that freedom like an artist would. You know? sure, like Captain right? America's helmet. <laughs> Captain America's helmet. I don't remember when he fought when he fought himself. Uh, the one with the helmet. It was, he wasn't wearing a helmet that was CG'd on. <laughs> Ah, yes, you got to be able to I, tell which is which. I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty. Okay, let's talk about this movie a little bit more. we <laughs> like the Iron Giants that revealed here. Too. Great shot of the head. Like, it's in the trees and the head turns and it's just there all of a sudden. And then it goes from that, which I assume was probably hand-drawn, to a fully 3D rendered Iron Giant. Like, it's, re- it's just great. Which is an interesting idea to make the thing that's futuristically animated this character that is uh, mechanical and... Mm-hmm. From outside of before we uh, the um, most analog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These scenes are so great in the night and the forest here. This was just enchanting from the very beginning. I don't know why they find whatever the reason this didn't do well. Uh, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that 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 it didn't do well. well it, it, it risked. I mean, they, there was a matter of when the movie was finished, so they could have a release date for it. The marketing was. They had no budget for marketing, basically, and the previous Wonder Brothers animated movie, Quest for Camelot, was a huge failure. Yeah. And then yeah. you have Toy Story and Bugs Life and DreamWorks animation. They're all doing their thing, and they're very popular. And so you have this uh, this kind of outlier here that seems – and it's hearkening back to an older period. It's like, are people going to like this? Wonder Brother gets nervous, and then they don't do anything with it, and there you go. I mean, you got no movie. The, yeah, the oversimplified sort of myth version I'm hearing is that, oh, well, it opened the same time as The Sixth Sense. But The Sixth Sense was a slow-growing word-of-mouth hit. I remember when The Sixth Sense was announced, I was like, oh, he just did a movie with a kid, Mercury Rising, and doing another one. So that, <laughs> it wasn't beaten by that. I think it, it was just it's, – it's not a musical with songs – it's it, you know it's set in the 50s which may have been off-putting to some people That's i guess what I'm yeah i think it's the it's it's not a disney princess movie uh which this is necessarily limitation all the time but at the same time it just it's something it's different it's it's different in a way where if you're not spoon feeding what this is exactly why do i need to go and see it says the parents that could take their kid to go see something else instead mm-hmm. you know the first time i i ever heard of this story at all you know this based on the book by English Ted Hughes, who was Sylvia Plath's uh, husband, and she killed herself, and he wrote the book to uh, for, for their children, to, to ease their children's uh, minds about it. And then the first time I ever heard about this was the Iron Man an album that came out in like 93 or something. Pete Townsend, who was actually one of the producers on this movie, Pete Townsend from The Who, the great songwriter from The Who, mm-hmm. is a producer on this movie because he bought the rights first, and there actually was an animated video for a track off of it called A Friend is a Friend, very crudely animated video that is the Iron Giant and a little kid running around. 
Um, but that album was not very good, and it was it was not, it was not a big seller. But apparently, and I almost think his 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 Hogarth shirt. But apparently, in the uh, in his room, he's got a a dart uh, like a you know dartboard on the wall that's that is a sort of classic Quadrophenia who colors, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting footnote. But for sure, that was yeah. That said, what what if this was instead of this movie, it did become like a a '90s rock opera featuring music by <laughs> Pete Townsend, and it was about a giant robot and a boy. They were about to, they were about to, and then they walked. One of the producers walked away and went to Warner Brothers, and and, and this is what came out of it. Oh yeah, I'm saying I would have been all about that, but here we are, um, and with music by Michael Kamen, which is also pretty terrific. Isn't it? Oh, is it Michael Kamen? Yeah. yeah, it's Michael Kamen. Jennifer Aniston is the voice here, right? Yeah, we have Jennifer Aniston. One of her Aniston. best movies. It is probably, yeah. Is it her best movie? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of a better movie that she's in. I haven't seen Murder Mystery yet, but I'll go no, ahead. No. <laughs> um, yeah. This is her best movie, yeah. I mean, this followed by what? Uh, uh, um, Office Space? She... Leprechaun? Uh, Leprechaun, Office Space, no and no. Derailed? Oh, God. Oh, I like that. The, the Good White Girl, White. maybe? The Mike White movie is pretty good, I guess. Yeah. I didn't yeah, mind the great, breakup. Breakup's okay. I feel like she's in more. Oh, she's in Horrible Bosses. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. This is her best movie, I'm pretty sure, if, as far as my taste. Uh, look at that shot. And look at the... They're even using... Even using that classic, uh, what do they call it? The multiplane camera thing that Disney yeah. invented. Mm-hmm. It's such a, it's such an effective. Even though I know you could make that more convincing in CG, or it, it's such a, it's such a, it's like looking at a model or something. There's always something fascinating about looking at something that's, you can tell how it was put together and it's impressive, rather than you can't tell how it was put together. You know what I mean? Like the art, the, the sort of arts and craftsy nature of this kind of animation, is just so charming. You know. Yeah, there's nothing even close to this movie on her resume. <laughs> as far as, like, yeah, too bad. Movies. Too bad, uh, yeah, Jennifer you have, her, you have you have uh, Eli Marienthal as as um as Hogarth, just a great character name. Um, Hogarth yeah. Hughes, wonderful. Um, we we missed we we talked over Harry Connick Jr. as Dean earlier. Who another one that just like he just fits like this movie does have a lot of voices that just kind of fit the role, which is nice. It's not a you know a movie about like let's get the biggest movie stars. It's let's uh, uh, good voices. Well, Aniston feels like let's get the biggest movie stars, and I read today that uh, they wanted Travolta for that. Uh, yeah, for I, the beatnik I, guy. That would have been pretty cool. You dig it the most that that version of Travolta would have. There's been a version of that that I enjoy. Good. But I mean, it's not. I mean, yes, Aniston's probably the biggest star at this time in this movie. But I mean, it's not like they were selling the movie. I mean, they didn't sell the movie at all. <laughs> no, they like, didn't. It's, yeah. not, it's not like that was. It's not like Office Space became a giant hit because of, like Aniston was. It's like. It also bombed. Um, and then, of course, Vin Diesel as the titular Iron Giant. And he I always had, forget what, that. I always Ryan, forget right? that. Pretty Did much, it, yeah. Pretty he much. was the Private Ryan Iron Giant guy for a little while. Yeah, this is Diesel's early because he's... This is still Diesel the filmmaker, essentially, because he, he's like right. he directed it's movies. Multifacial, right? And uh, what, Shapes or something like that? Um and he was a break dancer. Strays, strays, yeah, strays, a multifacial, yeah. And he, and he was a break dancer, and of course, the star of a Street Sharks uh, commercial. Um, and certainly, then there's a direct line to the um, Groot, then, isn't there? Oh, as far, yeah. I mean, he has a, he does have a distinctively gravelly voice. I mean, it's. Like... But I mean, there's something similar in the way Groot sacrifices himself. 
Yes, as far yeah, as far as the kinds of characters he's voicing, yes. <laughs> and what he's doing with them. He, is yeah. this? Is then? Let me ask you: Is this? Is this Vin Diesel's best movie? I am a lover of Saving Private Ryan, so I, I might say Private Ryan is the I best. I mean, not but... only do I love Saving Private Ryan, but I think his scene in Saving Private Ryan is one of the best scenes in Saving Private Ryan. So. Oh, yeah. phenomenal scene, yeah. 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 Between that him might... and, and Barry Pepper at the, on the sniper rifle, I mean, there's so like It's just really... And just like, there's oh. that... You know what that great scene in Saving Private Ryan, when, it's when he gets shot and he hits the piano key? It's such a perfect moment. Oh. Like, just, it's, that's, such, that's great cinema. Right there, it's just like the well, way. How about Jeremy Davies listening to them killing on the killing Adam Goldberg on the stairs? I mean, cowardly. Don't, we don't oh, need to get God. to be started on different scenes. I'm just talking about in terms of Vin Diesel's scene. Like it's yeah. that's a great touch of like him getting hit and then he like knocks onto that piano yeah. key and it just like underscores yeah. the drama in the mm-hmm. within the framework of the film. Anyway, he's very good. Was this the, the was other, this before Pitch Black? This is before was Pitch, Pitch Black. Black. Pitch Black yeah, Pitch Black was next. Yeah, yeah. and he broke and he break out of that and then yeah, we, um, we did a, we did a commentary track for Pitch Black way back then. Uh, you got you guys say Saving Private Ryan, but I think you're forgetting Babylon AD. I'm not. Um, Babylon AD. <laughs> that was much later, right? Oh yeah, Babylon. The, oh, the, no, no, the no, other great voice here, possibly the MVP, is Christopher McDonald as uh, Ken. One of his great uh, oh, roles, yeah. Chris McDonald, yeah. and, and a perfect Christopher McDonald role. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> this is so. This is like. This was it, a renaissance along with his Requiem for a Dream part was so Requiem great. Requiem for a Dream. He's so good into like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And not playing like Chris a terrible Trump. person, like he's just playing a game show host essentially. Like there's not he's, right because he normally plays like you know jerks, <laughs> and that's just like Chris McDonald, one of the great unsung treasures of American '90s movies. He's mm-hmm. so great. Well, you know, every time you see him, you expect a jerk. Like you go back to like Breaking, you expect he's gonna be a jerk, but he's like really not. Which is why you can tell that this is a weird comment to make, but the leave it to beaver movie that they made in the nineties or uh-huh. whatever that was. Yeah. You can tell there's something jaundiced about that for conceptually that they would have Chris McDonald as the insincere father. Yeah. When on leave it to beaver for one thing, he was very sincere. Hugh downs or whoever that was. So mm-hmm. we're thinking that was right away. You could tell that movie did not have its heart in the right place. Chris McDonald. Um, he's like, he's the William Atherton of the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> William Atherton, who is ghostbusters, right? Ghostbusters and die hard. And Die Hard and the Sugarland Express. He's the Sugarland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always get him mixed up with John Getz, who I also really like. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Okay. Yeah. But Hather, like Getz, he can. He's he doesn't get typecast in the same way that Hatherton does. Right. Right. Yeah. Hatherton is the corporate stooge forever. <laughs> Biodomes, William Hatherton. Yeah, um, I never did see Biodome. <laughs> <laughs> Still haven't seen that one. One of these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What Shout Factory puts it out? I'm sure. uh, It was Olive Films. They they did it. Yep. Okay. That is a stupid. That means there's no retrospective commentary track on there. No. These shots are like you're pointing out the trees. I I agree with you. Like it it does have a. There's a one of a kind look to that that you just can't. You don't replicate in in the same way you can with um, you know the the different Pixar films, for example, where there's obviously stylization going on in those. But yeah, they should look at the blobs. It's just a blob. Yeah, the orange and the, green, the fall trees. And I'm sure, you know, there's you know hundreds of artists that work on the Pixar films, and they're probably, they're, there are layers and what have you, and it does start with a drawing, essentially. But it's just like the way it's presented here. Well, Pixar goes the distance, I think, of, of well, doing do. these kind not, of artful touches. Them, but, yeah. but yeah, look at the little grass, the little leaves of grass. It's not that they didn't have time to finish them. It's that you're drawing the subjects crisply and clearly and the backgrounds are just suggestions. I don't know. It's a magic, it's a magical sort of uh, art form. 
And I'm pretty, yeah, it's got it. If they, if they time it right, if Disney, whoever times it right and makes a big holiday movie that's hand-drawn animated, people would respond, I think. I hope. Well, I mean, it. I think we would, and people slightly older, or more older and slightly younger would. But Why I think older? Would... Why wouldn't a 15-year-old, why would they reject something that's hand-drawn? It's so because cool. Because it's... I... It's I mean, not what they are used to. It's, it's like a kid rejecting to, yeah. black and white film. Yeah, they, but, you know. there, but aren't there also kids that are a little more interesting than that and have kind of... There are, because they have good parents. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I've... I've, uh, you know, my uh, personally with my kids, I've tried to give them a good range of things. I show them things that are, like, hokey, goofy, old effects, and new. Yeah, I yeah. try to give them good, well, right, so they don't, when they get older, reject something campy or skip out on it because it might not have, I mean, they can see a base of things or realize that, hey, sometimes it may take my imagination to make this thing kind of work. But, um, but there are kids, I mean, they'll grow up and they just, I mean, they don't, they reject black and white just because it's not what they're seeing currently. All their new stuff isn't being yeah. done that way. But again, those are the same people we were talking about in the pregame. You know, I, I yeah, think they're yeah, no, just people you. who will never be curious and never look beyond that their lives aren't about art. They don't care really. And that's fine. Their lives yeah, are but, about uh, but it, but money it, and cars. And but whatever, I mean, if, but, if you're asking Disney to be like, let's do this, let's go for it. I just, it's, it's going to bite them in the ass at this point. I mean, it, it, I like, do you really the, think that, the, that kids would reject it because it was not TV. I, I, not necessarily, but I do think that there's unless if if Disney like put everything they could behind this, then yes, I could see it happening. Like it's like guys, this is we're doing it. This is our our big return to hand drawn animation where you have a two hundred million dollar marketing budget. You're not going to be able to walk down the street without seeing whatever Lady in the Tramp two like right. posters. Like here it is, the the Lego sequel you've been waiting for. Like I mean, like there's it, it there's a way to, be, to sell that, uh, but like it, it has, has to be, to be. The, the movie event of the year for that to be a success. Well, it'd have to be a, a fairy tale right. they, they fairy tale they've never touched. That it just has to like, hit that moment. It, yeah, we're like, it guys, we're doing it. it. Rumpelstiltskin. Disney's Rumpelstiltskin. It might be a disaster, but you know as well as I do that if the timing was right, it could seem really cool to people. I'm not I, saying they're going to get the timing right, but if the perfect note was struck, it would catch on. Because I agree. Well, and things I that are I, good and it, things that are good but have fallen out of use – people discover them again they like them you know even if it means they feel like they're rebelling against the the, the mainstream you I, know? Don't, I don't disagree i think that i think the biggest problem that they had with uh, princess and the frog honestly was that they, they just didn't release it right like they had yeah. everything they needed they put everything was there and it's a good movie the songs are fun. it is a like, good movie it's, yep. it's well animated because why wouldn't it be but they just they staggered the release and they put it out like it should have came out because it came out like um it came out on Thanksgiving limited opened wide after that in December. It was a bad time to release it. They could, if they did it beginning of November could have been huge. Or if they did it the week before Thanksgiving could have been huge. And I think that botch just messed up everything as far as their big plan to bring back hand-drawn animation. I let, think me one... you, let me ask you guys this. If, and you know, they're, they're thinking about it. If they could in two years, make a live action frozen, would it be a huge, it would be huge, right? <sighs> Wouldn't it? Well, are you, okay. In this hypothetical, is this a frozen? remake of the first one? If live this, in this hypothetical, is Frozen Two still coming out this year? It is. It is. I know that's a, that's a big thing. But well, I, don't, I don't think it would though. I I don't think there's. I think there'd be curiosity, and it wouldn't be a failure. But I don't think it would make like Lion King money. 
How long would you have to wait? Five years? Ten. Ten, Ten years? And the way things are going speeding up? All right. Because they're going to obviously run out of the ones people have affection for. Oh, yeah. I, Dumbo- I, I mean, I'm very curious what Disney does in the next couple years after Star Wars, Frozen 2 comes out, and they run out of, like, 90s Disney movies that are clearly the ones making the most money. After all that ends, like, what's what's the next plan of action here? When Mar- the like, live-action Black Cauldron. Well, the Lion King live action two, Aladdin live action two, right? The Re- Return of Jafar. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. One, but like once that, I mean, I guess yeah, it's more than Return of Jafar. I'll just do something something else. But I'm know? saying once it, okay, not just the next couple of years, but once we like really run out of just those things that you can, we when Disney runs out of those things that they can milk, like what's what's their next step there? And they ideally, ideally, yes, else. ideally, yes, there will be. I mean, they'll buy beyond buying something else. Ideally, yes, there will be a move backwards towards original features which includes like yeah like kids adventure stories that aren't based off ya novels and possibly hand-drawn film i love this so do you think i love this right here where 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 the where the giant is putting the the railroad track back exactly where it needs to be it's like it's just a great like it's there's so much humanity in him uh in it that Mm -hmm. i think really plays well to establishing a character and a boy in a spielbergian kind of boy and his robot thing He's the ultimate character to, to satisfy that thing little kids like where they, you know, little kids like the Hulk and they like big, strong characters that accidentally smash things like uh-huh. he's the ultimate sort of Iron Giant is the ultimate sort of identifier for a kid like that. I think, you know, you want to do the right thing. You don't understand, you know, it, it's something abstract that absolutely feels human. Yep. True. Exactly. Disney has Fox properties to mine too so don't forget that titan they can, AE. Push those they can up. do titan AE. yeah they can do they can do a 3d die hard a 3d yeah. animated a 3d animated die hard a live uh, action version of uh final fantasy the spirits of web awakened one one thing that was with called. your that was with sony your, with <laughs> your um with your risk aaron that we're talking about going back to the hand drawn you have to also take an account too this is a different age we're going back that would be a huge chance because with kids they're getting new content all the time like there's new stuff like we're in a period where like there's just so much new stuff all the time to go back to an old thing to get their attention i would think that's even challenging yeah so you'd have to like plant it into some kind of ip so you'd be like you've never seen you've never seen iron man like this and he just struts there's, out yeah there's 20 movie. there's 20 new movies coming in the theater every weekend and there's like a thousand new streaming shows and movies dropping Every day, like it's that are original, so and they're need all to be like doing a hand, new things. A hand-drawn right, Disney but, princess movie meets the Marvel characters on Tatooine, like that. Twenty that'd be the years, movie. twenty years from now, when someone goes to their shelf or whatever, or their 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 digital library to watch The Lion King, they're watching the '94 version, aren't they? They're not going to watch this new one. Yes, well, and that's, so and that that's, means that, that, that's why it's 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 baffling to me why this works the way it does right now. I mean, I guess it's because it's a, the, it's a theatrical It's because event. they can't, they can't re-release them on video anymore. They can't make the money that way. So this is how they remonetize with older ones, but there's just no way that any of these are going to replace the hand-drawn originals in terms of our love for them. I don't which, think, which I guess, I mean, so then it comes down to, it's the, it's various generations responsibility to keep showing them the older movies and not just show them toy story and beyond. Well, I uh, I am going to be a father myself uh, for the first time in January of, uh, of next year. Very curious about how this works out, uh, Brandon. Sort yeah, of showing the, them movies. Twentieth is a is a great day to have a child. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> January. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I have a I've I've 
been pretty happy with how my kids have turned. Like they like. Wait, like what, are you, the... what are you telling us, Yancy? <laughs> what do you mean? What, becoming no, a what? I noticed you were like the only guy who didn't like my Facebook post. <laughs> I didn't notice you. What Facebook post? <laughs> no, my fiance. I'm going to get married in a month, and we're already pregnant. So uh... I, I was not aware of this, Mazel Tov. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, <laughs> but that is true. That is a true story. Um, and of I, course, uh, my my one track mind is like, well, I don't know what age it is, but when I start showing the movies, that's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, and you got to just kind of feel out what they like and stuff, and not try to force because you know forcing things will have them rejected a lot of the time. But I got my kid into like Universal monster movies. He uh, he was into like old sixty Star Trek episodes, like early on that didn't bother him um he's into a lot of different stuff it's it's crazy sense because if you're not corrupted by the sort of water cooler thing where you feel like you have to know the same things that your people your age i mean like it makes Mm -hmm. sense frankenstein these movies are good there's a reason that they would play you know unless someone tells you you shouldn't watch that that's my theory at least i hope it's true i mean (laughs) it it makes sense again it's just a matter of i don't (laughs) you you need to have people that continue to show these things and have a way to like, continue to access this stuff, which is why, yes, it is good to have this physical media. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a way. You have to, to have an active interest in your child's entertainment and what they're taking in, which most aren't going to have. They're just going to be like, oh, watch your Paw Patrol, watch your this, which my kids do watch that stuff, too. I don't, I'm not taking that away from them. I'm not keeping them out of their, their of own course. current mainstream conscience. But, There's good um, stuff always. There's good stuff I now, op- too, of course. I open a door and kind of let them go through um, and find their way through it. Like that. See, I don't want. I want to be kind of like the drug dealer who's got the good stuff. You know, yeah. <laughs> like oh, I, I you, ever see, you ever see them with the giant ants? Like I want to be the guy who's their doorway to like Which, good stuff. <laughs> I will say my movie collecting stuff I think has helped my son with like be kind of advanced in his education because at age two he was like alphabetizing his movies and putting them in orders and stuff. And and he's very organized with his own movie collection and things like that. He's got his own uh, kind of, he's got his own sections, his own method to the madness, but he was putting uh, numbers in a row with like Spider-Man movies when he was. That is fabulous to hear. And he's always, he's a very, he's already ahead in reading and stuff like that um, in his grade. So it's, it's interesting. We have yeah, John, I was, we have, I was, we have, I was a, we have John Mahoney here as the general, by the way. Yes, and so back just, to the Mahoney, Iron yes, Giant. Mahoney, yes. You know, I was interested. I was reading some reviews of the time uh, of this, and one of the reviews was the guy in the Washington Post at the time. I'm not sure. I think he's still working, but he he's sort of a conservative guy, and he was coming at it as saying it was kind of a liberal lefty sort of movie. That's why he didn't like it. But the one point he made was that. It is easy to sort of Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback the 1950s, I think. And I think because of movies, because of the because of the 60s and the 70s and all the sort of sort of uh, loosening up that happened in the culture, there's been a real, real tendency to oversimplify and make the 50s, I suspect, look much less complex and interesting than they really were. So this was this guy's argument was that it basically uh, was kind of glib about about solving the issues of the day in a way you wouldn't have been if you were alive in 1955 or whatever. It's a, it's a very abstract thing to write your review about in a national newspaper. but Especially for an animated was... film that is more complex than the average animated movie at this time. <laughs> yeah, but in the wrong direction. He was arguing that, oh, of course, the Army's the bad guy and the FBI guy is not to be trusted. And 
Well, yeah, I think you're talking about like the 50s. You this know, is was a wonderful r- little bit oh. right here. Yeah, it's it's just this bit of you with the arm inside the house, and it's like tucking down the toilet paper. And the kid has to, like, just, there's a lot of good comic writing, I think, going on throughout this. Which, like, in addition to, we're talking a lot about the animation and just the general aesthetic of this film. It is really funny. Like, it is a very funny oh, movie. Yeah. It has a lot of great touches as far as how you have a kid hide a 100-foot robot in your backyard. Like, there's good stuff there. This has to, this, it's funny, you know, Peter Paris did not want to join this commentary because he says he's not a fan of this movie. I don't know how that's possible. But I know his one criticism, if I've ever heard it, was that he thinks the villain here is one-dimensional, and that is always one. And it, that is always a risk, a risk you run with a movie like this, where you have a, you have adults who are wanting to destroy something that's so obviously wondrous and amazing. It's it, it's kind of hard to believe that 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 anyone could be wanting to destroy this. Iron Giant after he's expressed his sort of character, but that's sort of the nature of the beast, I guess. E.T., they kind of get around it by having Peter Coyote be a little more sympathetic, but oh, I, do awesome the Chris Mc- um, I do think the Chris McDonald, as much as I love Chris McDonald, I do think that the scenes with him are, this, are the weaker scenes in the movie because they take on a dimension of familiarity in terms of the bad guy kind of just being a nasty I, guy. I can, I can see that to a point at the same time. I mean, for one thing, it's a heightened reality. I mean, all yeah, the sure. characters have a, a way of speaking and a way of acting in this film. But if you want to, like, apply it to the times, I mean, it's 50s paranoia. Like, that's what they're yeah. going for here. And he's he's a guy that's amped up by the possibility of seeing something like this. And that he know, given that he knows something is up, he's going to continue pursuing that thread to the end of the earth if he can like that's that's his that's where his mindset is and i mean you, you take that yeah. step i mean the movie doesn't delve into his character enough to give him you know more to say on the matter but i think you can chalk it up to what what the what a government is looking at right now as far as russians having a literally having a satellite up in the up in the the sky above the space above them and mm-hmm. how we need to really be on our best here because anything could happen at this point. Like I can, see that. I can see, I can see that as a driving function of a character whose only goal is, you know, to come to town and inspect something. And now that he knows something's here, we don't need to see, there's no reason to show him doing anything else. Cause that's what his mind is on. This was so thrilling. I got to say, in 1999 to see those comic books rendered so realistically, uh-huh. mm-hmm. it was, it, it was like, but fr- prior to that, every time you would see a comic book in a movie, it would be some made-up comic book or it would be the wrong comic from some or other era. knock-off thing. Yeah, or... yeah. To see those – and then, of course, what eventually happens with the, with the Superman idea here was so thrilling at a time when it really did feel like comic books were, were just completely uh, – It was Warner ni- Brothers. They could niche. do Superman. Yeah, yeah, but at the yeah, time it was it was really thrilling to have this to have this movie sort of take comic books a little seriously. Now that feeling has been sated completely, and I never want to see another comic book movie as long as I live. But at the time, the sort of honoring comic book that this movie does was really like cool. Oh, you're you're gonna see Todd Phillips' Academy Award-winning Joker film. Don't worry. Um... Oh, I'm excited about that. That's gonna piss people off, apparently. Hey, the more the more I hear it's going to be controversial and off-putting, I'm more the excited happier to I for am. it. I yeah, know, the more I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think it's a lot of smoke, but I mean, I look forward right. to seeing it. Uh, um, ah, some... you're the cynical one. You call no, me cynical. No, not being cynical. I just think, you're the cynical I, I, one. No, I think the I think the I think they're playing up the idea of what this is going to do for superhero movies or what have you. When it's like, yeah, it's a, it's just like taxi driver, but with capes. 
Um, it's going to be a one-off that people are going to have to just handle, yeah. I think. <laughs> but I do like the idea that my joke of Todd Phillips being nominated for Best Director is probably going to come true at this point. <laughs> like, that's yeah. Yeah, maybe, are. huh? That's where we yeah. are. <laughs> that's that's where comic book movies are at this point. As we bend and arch and try to get comic movies to win Oscars. Yeah, it's true. What I was Interesting. Gonna, yeah. What I was going to say is that Roger Ebert you know, gave a great review to this film. He gave three and a half out of four. Three and a half, and yeah. He, and he compared it to Miyazaki. Um, fitting because I've been wa- I've been rewatching a lot of Miyazaki. I've, I've been watching his. I've seen everything from Mononoke on. I talked about this on the podcast this week um, to date this episode, um, but I, I hadn't before up until a few weeks. So I hadn't seen like the first half of his filmography. So I've been watched. I just watched Porco Rosso with my lovely girlfriend. Oh, he's the greatest. I, I watched Nausicaa. I watched um, Lupin the Castle Cagliostro, and it's like what Eber making a comparison here it's like i can see that i can see what he, mm-hmm. as far as a there's less magical realism obviously in this film but i mean there's still a kind of there's an added complexity and an abstractness that you know you don't even find... just having those comic books be really comic books is uh-huh. something that i would see in a miyazaki movie you know yeah, the little details and things you know it's stuff that's there that feels both natural but also unique <laughs> and thematically it also is is, is of course is something yeah. that i can see miyazaki he wouldn't do the big military scenes but he would definitely do this sort of mm-hmm. a gun that doesn't want to be a gun thing that's so funny. before this Brad <laughs> Wait, just, the car yeah. the car won't stop so he just throws the car away that's great <laughs> yeah uh interesting thing like uh Brad Bird filmography that I'm, I'm feeling like this, this film, uh, the Incredibles and then like Tomorrowland all feel like they're kind of hitting at something like the same aesthetically. Yep. It's oh, got it's, that, I mean, a, that, that whole that, that world's whole fair type. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You mean the Stark Expo? <laughs> yeah. Stark Expo. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of, I mean, Tomorrowland, duh, nail on the, you know, obviously, but like yeah, this see, feels do you, like do you it's like Tomorrowland. Yancy? Oh, you're asking me? Um, no, I liked parts of it and I was rooting for it, but in the end, it didn't con- it, did, it didn't win me over. That sounds like the universal consensus of the world. So yeah, I, I think yeah, we're that's, all, that's like, about where every, I everyone's too, rooting yeah. for Brad Bird, but it's like, yeah, but although my I think my favorite there's there's a couple of good like really good things in that movie, um, because Brad Bird. Well, there has pretty, to be, yeah. He, he is a good filmmaker. I mean, so it's oh, like, yeah. it, can't, it can't be a disaster. But there's one Hugh Lowry line delivery that just cracks me up, or because he's like the bad guy villain thing, and he says like, like a, something about like a, America has both like the 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 most uh, world hunger and the most obesity, and then he goes, "What?" Like he just like just throws it out <laughs> there. It's such a toss up <laughs> line, but the way he says it is funny. <laughs> This before this scene. was Family Dog, right? That was what he was sort of known for before this, right? Remember Family Dog? The anime it was it was it was he an amazing. Sim- he did no, Simpsons the Simpsons stuff, was his dude, other, yeah. Oh, did he? Was he a Simpsons writer? He was a Simpsons writer. Yeah, that was okay, uh, that not just sense. a writer. He was like um, like head. Like he was like a a big uh, a big a big, uh, big contributor on the Simpsons. Oh, I, I guess I probably knew that. Other than Tomorrowland, I've liked all his movies, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Ghost Ghost Protocol is fantastic. Terrific. Ratatouille well, is a fantastic Pixar film. Ratatouille's very good. I'm the rare person who liked The Incredibles two even more than the first one. I think Incredibles two may be the best superhero movie since uh, Spider Man two. 
or since the first Incredibles. <laughs> I didn't love. I didn't love the first Incredibles. It felt like the time. It felt like Pixar kind of butching it up a little bit. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want them to pander to the ain't it cool crowd. But I've kind of always, and I don't like the Jason Lee uh, villain character either. Spoiler alert. Oh, I think he's great. <laughs> I can't stand it. There. Even though the design of his face is off-putting to me, but this one I really, really <laughs> liked. It is. He's hard to look at that character. But it's a really good movie, by God, of course. It's a Fantastic Four movie. They're my favorite comic characters of all time. But at the time, I was a little bit of a sourpuss about it. I mean, I I, I think Incredibles 2, like, I really like Incredibles 2. I, I think it's pretty fantastic. It's just it's more of like, I'm getting more of this thing I like. That's kind of how I regard it. I, I, I didn't think it was like a substantial increase as far as like what we're really doing this time around but i did think we're just getting a lot more of this i, thought, and I, like it, I this. thought it was i thought it was better because it, it was like if you could only ever see one comic book movie that one had somebody any cool power that anyone ever had in any comic book somebody has in that movie i thought it was very definitive in that way you know well, i mean like in terms of the visual like aspect of superheroes doing things and just action sequences in superhero movies it's among the best <laughs> like, I mean, the, between between watching all of them use their powers at once and the giacchino throwback bond score his bond the whole bond aesthetic it's just great. phenomenal yeah, it's from that regard. yeah yeah There's a little nice touch here where like Hogarth finally goes to sleep and then me has to go to bed. Yeah, go to school. <laughs> Maybe the key would be to do like a, a half and half CG and animated, a hand drawn animated movie where when it went into the animated section there was a point to it, and and, it, and in the animated and the hand drawn sections it showed off what hand drawn animation can do, and then when it went back to the CG section it could show off what that could do. Maybe that would be a, a good gateway drug for. I, some of these knuck, knucklehead kids. I wouldn't be surprised if there are like some of these some of these you know filmmakers at these various studios that have these ideas and are trying to flesh them out and just can't quite like crack it or they're not quite getting the studio backing they need to make that work or something but like you know any animator loves the idea of hand-drawn animation <laughs> like so it's it's not like yeah it's not like everyone's just given up it's just a i think it's a difficult proposition at this time given the way the the movie market is which is it's a horrible a thing to have to different... contend with, but at the same time, it's like these movies cost money. Like they can't, they can't just like let's just you know you can't right, make an right. indie movie like I mean you you can make foreign films or what have you that capitalize off that animation. They still do. I mean there, there's well, what was the the uh, the breadwinner, um, a fantastic film uh, that I saw a few years ago that was up for an Oscar. Like it, there's there's hand drawn out there, and Miyazaki's coming back again. He keeps retiring, then he comes back. He's coming oh, back again. Oh thank God, I love I mean, him coming back again. He's he, he may be the greatest. Filmmaker that's alive, right? Well, David Lynch, but Miyazaki's such a genius. I mean, I mean they're out, they're out there, but I mean, they're just back. not. They're not, you know, these worldwide exposed films that make you know gajillion dollars in the same way that that, that Disney's biggest animated film of all time, The Lion King, is making. So. Right. Harry Connick Jr.'s mad that he ate his art. Yeah, I mean, we talk about like Ken Mansley as a villain like i mean it's not like or like the representation of the 50s it's not like dean is like the coolest guy in town like people he's basically a recluse like it's not he's not, he's not exactly like well it's not like it's saying this guy's right <laughs> this guy's got knows what's going on here right 
It's it's funny in, in these kind of movies. It, it, just that little Coco Lack sign in the window, like it, it's interesting. This was this movie was uh, is set in the year that Brad Bird was born, I think, um, which actually makes it similar to in some degrees to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is set is, not yeah, in the year Tarantino was born, but close. Where it is funny how we now filmmakers always have this. Uh, zest in recreating their childhood worlds from their perspective you know it's and it's always Mm -hmm. even if that wasn't your childhood i wasn't alive in the 50s but like it it it, it feels like you're getting i don't know i just i just love those little details and things like like the posters on the walls and the various you know commercials you see on television yeah you have the the fun you know that the uh idea your childhood from the decade you're in and then you have a fondness for the decade you just missed it almost feels like. like the I don't one know. I have before. a real strong fondness for the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And I was born in the 70s gotcha. and 30s. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s are where my favorite stuff came out. I just think that's when the best stuff was made. I don't know. I mean, I, I, would, just, I would chalk it up to also, you know, we're anomalies. I mean, we, we fit into a large group of anomalies as far as the kind of film buffs, film Twitter, whatever you want yeah. to call it go. But yeah. I mean, we are anomalies. I mean, that's what that's what that's what it counts for as well. Yeah, if you care about movies, eventually you start getting curious, and if you don't, you don't. Yeah, I, I get that, but I mean, just not everyone cares about movies. There's not, not everybody cares about movies to be. And not every not every too. film buff goes back as far too. I mean, yeah, I, that, I, I found that out. I think eventually like, you have to though, don't you? Well, you think you think that, you but you think. know, star, sometimes people just say Star Wars is the BLN doll, or some people say fucking Star whatever, Wars top... makes no sense if you haven't seen. I mean, it makes sense, but my God, to not see it as a as an updated '50s sci-fi is heartbreaking. That's what it is. You could say that, but I mean, when I, I didn't see Star Wars because I was like, oh man, this reminds me of those pulp serials that I was watching. I saw Star Wars, and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, I, yeah. I just it's by nature the fact that yeah, but it's we by can nature, argue that that's that. already a different time. You know, some, once we're in the Star but, Wars but, era, but, we're but, in a different but, time. But what are you saying at that point? Because like I went back and eventually saw other things because I just had a general interest in that, but I didn't flock to this thing and become obsessed with it because of a, a time period I never knew of or wasn't aware of to the extent that I am now and thought, like, oh, this is a great reference to that. Right, well, stopping, starting with Star Wars and purposely missing the single greatest decade of American movies that came just before is the most perverse thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, in but my that's life. a lot. That, that is a that is a lot of people. Let alone not just that, but like starting with just the '80s or just the '90s. I point. think these people, well, the people who only go back to Star Wars, are really fans of franchise properties more than they are of cinema. I think. Well, I think a lot of people just go check off the big movies and mm-hmm. and go digging like that. But then some people really get into it and they're like. They read into what inspired Star Wars. I want to yeah. see it with that. And then it, yeah. that digs you an interesting hole of seeing inspirations and stuff. People look at it differently. It's uh, and then you got to think, okay. if you're a kid growing up now, there's uh, like you that you have even more history that you got to go back through than we did because you didn't get to live through lucky all the stuff that got added. Man, lucky, L- lucky them. them. Lucky them. But, I mean, it's a lot harder. Um, it's not. It's not. If you're – if you – if you follow access is great (laughs) access is fantastic if you fall in love with movies the way all three of us have obviously fallen in love with movies it is there's an inexorable pull to see these great movies from before your time and the idea that you shouldn't watch them because they're older is gonna fade so quickly i just can't imagine anyone really consider themselves a movie lover star wars should lead you to kurosawa like and it it will unless you just (laughs) unless you're unless you are really that prejudiced against 
against things that are strange to you, and in which case, how I much of a I, movie lover can you? But be? I don't. I don't necessarily think it comes down to just like actively trying not to do something. I just think there's so much availability these days of things right, you can do and the ways you, you can do them. But once you get hooked, and once you realize that you love movies, sure, okay, I that, think that's, you have I, I see to what you're saying. Okay, yeah. you have to get so that becomes more important than what the general consensus is doing. I, I, I can see what be. you're saying on that, and that, and that to that I just say it's the it's equivalent it's the equivalent to like an acquired taste where I, yeah. I do like I do have a friend that has uh, that's been on this podcast that uh doesn't necessarily go out of his way to see things that are earlier than 1970 that said he has seen that he there's plenty of films that he does love that are from a period before 1970 talking about it, Abe no, no not kidding. no <laughs> talking about Abe uh, but like well but anybody that loves anything develops acquired but, taste for but, but that's what I think, that's not weird shit because that's, he, that's what i'm who, saying though that, that that it's a more it's not that it's not a choice to not do it necessarily it's just more of a a warming up period that's just not coming as fast as you probably like them to have the people who will never go backwards are not really that serious about this art form the people who do will it's, well some are no more way. pop culture junkies thinking they're right. film junkies but then they're of course but then they also like tv comic books video games they have room for all that but if you become someone who goes god movies really are the best which is what happened to at least me and you i'm assuming you guys too that be, then your world becomes movies and you want to look i saw i saw a uh, quote not about movies but about music from jack white today where he said you know, if you ever hear anyone tell you that they don't like Bob Dylan or the Beatles, don't listen to them about music. And it's absolutely true because that would mean that so that 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 the fact that those were popular and existed before you were alive were more important than the fact that they're great. And he's saying, don't listen to them, because if you're listening to someone about music, listen to someone who's got an open mind. And in this case, going back would be having an open mind and refusing to go back would be having a closed mind. And we don't like to think of film I mean, film, the filmmakers are always going to go back, right? I mean, the people who make movies are always going to want to go back. The ones well, they who have to be inspired by something to begin with. Yeah. I mean, that that pays a big part. We the um, we just passed the scene where the Iron Giant jumps in the in the lake and all the water mm -hmm. comes out. If you want to talk about abstract filmmaking, the idea of Dean sitting in the chair floating through an open area because the water is you know taking up the entire space, you know, it makes no sense, but it's great. Like it's just it's a well animated sequence. Mm -hmm. Great use of autumn in this film. Yeah, I was just thinking how fitting to set it, you know, wherever they set it. It looks, it's such a beautiful, every movie should be set in autumn. <laughs> Bradbird's 61. Wow. All right. He like, seems like makes... such like a, like the the attitude I get from him it makes him seem <coughs> younger like honestly like he does he seems like he's so like full of energy especially when it comes to you know filmmaking or what have you. Well, yeah, sixty one don't mean what he used to. <clears throat> sure, I just like I, I, I think of him like talking about these things, talking about this movie, talking about Incredibles and what have you, and it just he has he gives the impression of someone that's just like still just breaking on the scene and just has all the enthusiasm he wants. Well, because we just recently got live action output from him. That's that's true too. At the same time, you know, you make a movie like Tomorrowland, which is more cynical than, like you could think even even a lot of ideas in the incredibles like there's, there's a lot of cynicism there yet there's nothing but ample fun in, at least implied in, in most of those movies well what's cynical about them well just some of the themes that they're going for like tomorrowland where like you know the world became a wasteland or what have you and they have to do everything we can to save it like there's or or right but if the what, world what the, did, what the, the world... use of super what the use of super you know the watchman themes they're going after within the guise of the incredibles in the in, in a world that had gone to shit, it would be non, non not cynical to 
want to return to something better. That would be uncynical. Like we, we tend to think of history as always progressive cultural history, but it turns out to maybe not be the case. And some things, especially art, does seem to sort of get better and worse and better and worse. So I don't think pining for better movies is me being a grumpy old man. I think I'm it's not, I mean, me I was being aware of. I was just saying he's not cynical, but there are elements of his movies that certainly can lean a certain way. I mean, we've they, they, what is it? What is it? There's a whole thread of about bird and there's some like uh what like ayn rand things going on in the that's not cynical though that's just a philosophy okay (laughs) it is i mean he's just saying you know it's a look if you want to get creepy about it it starts to seem like eugenics but it's not eugenics it's it's (laughs) it's 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 just it's his philosophy being that some people are gifted and need to run with that is not in the end an ugly notion but it definitely affronts the idea that everybody is equally special that we try to promote these days. What, what I'm you saying know? is that it just there there is a contrast between his personality versus some of the ideas that go on in his films. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen I've seen what did I I must have watched all the extras on The Incredibles or something. He definitely has a different energy than the other big Pixar director guys. They yeah. all seem to be kind mm-hmm. of boisterous nerds. Mm-hmm. Are sort of gentle nerds, and he seems more like a sort of boisterous, like gets pissed at you one day, and you know. Yeah, well, he was also a he was a he was a top choice uh, from people wanting him to direct uh, episode seven before. Uh, yeah, that would have been Abrams fantastic. On. That's what people. He was one of the first guys. Oh well, yeah. he, he does Pixar, Disney stuff. Let's let's. I, think uh, I, was, I was probably praying for that, and then I, but at the same time, thinking he's not going to want to do that. I don't. I don't want to rule it out as far as something else they could have it down. But I mean, they own Star Wars. Like it's. Yeah. They're going to keep making these. Like everybody's going to do uh, it eventually. Unfortunately, yes, they are. They brought. They brought him and like I liked uh, when they had Matthew Vaughn. They brought him in. I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. But. But they apparently they they want you to believe Abrams was their guy from the start. Unimaginable. The Jack Parr show, is that what they're watching? Yeah. <laughs> the guy who was the host of The Tonight Show before Johnny Carson. And, you know, Jack Jack Parr of The Incredibles. Yes. <laughs> We've been t- I, <clears throat> I haven't paid attention to the night shots, but in the stars at night, you do see one moving in that Sputnik. That's that's what I was referencing yeah, earlier, which is a neat touch. Cool. We got be a dose of, early, of uh, foreshadowing as far as who the Iron Giant is and like what's going on in his mind, and now we're seeing that more up close here. This is stuff that's in the. This is new, right? This is in the signature. Yeah, this edition. is in the, yeah. the signature. Yeah. yeah. Now it'll be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy that like this one made a lot of. Did it make a lot of uh, top lists? For it made what? a fair amount. Really I think it's a good year. And oh, like, uh, what, I mean, for like initial top ten lists when it came out. For top, <laughs> well, top ten of the year, but end of the year lists. Did it make a lot? I, I want to sure say it, it did. Mine. And that's when people are like, "What the art?" And I think that's where kind of people turned around and went back to it. But like, that's well, pretty impressive. It, yeah, it's ninety nine. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, with all the movies that came out, yeah. and we were even Aaron and I were looking at this month, and we were like, "Wow, this is August." August yeah. usually has like uh, like one or two notables, maybe, and then August was stacked. Not all back hits, in the day, but, yeah. But looking back at him, like, wow. Yeah, we had there was a number of things we could have considered for this month's commentary track in August. This week alone in August, when this movie came out, was uh, but no, it was next. 
no no it's the same week because this came out like on a wednesday or something but yeah there's there's the iron giant uh the sixth sense mystery men the thomas crown affair remake um let's see what dick week after that you got bowfinger uh <laughs> every week has like six movies it's it's wild how many things are coming out here yeah in, in an already packed summer early on too june july and may Now it's just so, all year, isn't it? They really did, changed that. Yeah. Just, I, I remember really, as a kid really, really wishing it was going to be all year, and now it is all year, and I don't wish it was all year. But... <laughs> well, because it's all year, and it's streaming, and it's TV. Yeah. Like, there's just there's so much. Yeah, yeah. And soon it will be, like, iPhone with, like, Spielberg's whatever he's doing. Like, everything's yeah. coming out. Um, what I was going to say... I, I mentioned that yeah, I hadn't seen this movie till like years after it came out. I have seen it in, on the big screen at a, a number of times at this point. Um, they had a, a, an LA animation festival a few years back. It was a while ago now. Jeez, it was a while ago at this point. It's like 2011 or 12. Um, uh, where I was able to see it there and Radbird did like a Q&A afterwards. The, when this came, when this edition, the signature edition came out for its big Blu-ray release, they put that in theaters for like a Fathom event, which was great. Yeah, so I saw that screening. Yeah, yeah I saw that Anna, screening too. Anna and I went to that one as well. Um, so it's like, it is really cool to see this movie on a big screen. Like it, you know, it has the proper scope <laughs> along with just the novelty of being able to see a movie like this on the big screen. Is this getting us to the they stare at each other all night portion of the film now? Oh, this yeah. Is, this is maybe one of my favorite sequences of this movie. <laughs> you know, uh, okay, the animation it's reminding me of that would be close to Disney would be, this is like 101 Dalmatians almost. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is where... That, that period, yeah. Yeah. The movements are a little bit uh, smoother, but it's it's there. Yeah. And that film was revolutionary for its time. Mm-hmm. Just the animation process they went through to, you know, the duplication aspects. Those, are those old. I mean, the, those. This, I mean, they're like works of art paintings that oh, era. Treasure, like oh, yeah. Sleeping Beauty, Beauty? Yeah. masterpieces. Yeah. Pause the frame. That could be a fo- that could be a painting yeah. on your wall. That's Sleeping Beauty. Those are truly, truly major American works of art. Those early Disney movies. Sleeping Beauty almost killed it for everybody because that was a flop. <laughs> like it was, yeah, it was, so, almost, it was so expensive, yeah. and a lot yeah, of it was the I first, mean, the first Cinemascope, uh, yeah. one too. And a lot, and a lot of the Disney movies, a lot of the early ones were flops. Like they, they, they came back around, obviously. But I mean, oh, were they really? I know Snow White was huge. Snow White was huge, but um, Fantasia, they wanted yeah. to do like one of those a year, and the first that one was like, like the ambitious I, failure. Yeah, yeah, and, and audiences were like, no, thank you. Pinocchio was a hit, but it was also really expensive. Dumbo was like basically an indie movie. Like they made that on the cheap, and it became a hit. Mm-hmm. And, like it worked out because it was so cheap. It worked out for him. Um, I feel like yeah. Fantasia was kind of a fuck you. I'm making it. For oh, Walt for Disney, sure. That, you know? that, like, yeah, I don't that's care definitely. If it's a hit, you know? Oh yeah, that's definitely the case there. But um, yeah, summer hit or miss, and then like like the, that '60s period, like yeah, uh, 101 animations. Adjusted for inflation, that's still one of like the biggest movies of all time. Like that movie was huge. Like it, yeah. was, it was a giant mm-hmm. success. Same like Jungle Book was big too. Like, and then like yeah, the seventies are kind of like cratered again. Like Robin Hood wasn't a big hit. I mean like 
and then yeah, the eighties was kind of like doldrums for a while until you finally get to the Little Mermaid. So I mean, it's... but they released so many. They were re-released them so much. Oh yeah, the re- I got that's, that's, that's where they ma- the that's where they make yeah. a lot of the money too, and that's why the memories hold up, held up on so on these films so much, and why they can keep releasing these physical copies or new diamond edition, platinum Ooh. edition, what have you. Because yeah, people were able to see them over and over again. Whenever you re-release one of these movies in theaters, which they don't do nearly as much as they used to, it's like yeah, that's the that's the Disney model. That's not a new thing. And so yes, like you said before, yeah. as far as like Lion King being a movie now. Yeah, that's just basically a new version of what they've always done, which is re-release their movies. Right, but they can't Before it goes the way they back used to into the vault. Yeah, wow. the digital, ah, they, they ah, exist ah. in the digital world. Like, there's no there's no way to monetize that anymore. Yeah. I remember being shocked when I first had a DVD of a Disney movie, thinking, are they sure they want to let me have this? Because I can like, <laughs> have this forever. I don't care if it goes off print now. There's, it's just a DVD, you know? I like I like this business right here of Dean like stalling <laughs> to like open this thing just to open the door and then like the whole army's here like this this is fun Man, like so something Brad Brad Bird like promotes is like the like something that separated him from Disney why he wanted to do his way versus what Disney wanted to do is there's like a methodology that Disney has as far as like if you can if you can film it in real life then it shouldn't be an animated scene and that's not brad bird's thing he's like no you can animate anything you want to animate and right, so you get, right. and that's i mean his movies have all you know there's a human quality to them it's obviously an abstract quality too but i mean look at this like that scene we just walked watch with dean like holding keys trying to open a door it's like you don't need to animate. that doesn't need to be an animated that could be a live action thing but he doesn't care like that's the movie he wants to make he wants to make a movie yeah. that features people which is what this For movie sure. is and it works. I mean, that's why that, I mean, course, that, that brings course. you back to that brings you back to the Miyazaki comparison. Miyazaki, for all the wild things that happen, it still involves human people doing stuff in the real world before something like crazy happens or something that separates us from reality. And it, it doesn't that's make it good, any it doesn't make it any less magical. That's a good point you bring up, Aaron. That may be the key to why this movie didn't succeed. Is, is that I mean, it's a movie for kids for sure, but it has a lot of scenes of like adults talking to each other and and, and scenes like this, like you're saying, scenes that didn't quote unquote need to be animated. Uh-huh. I don't think in America audiences are trained to expect anything like this from an animated movie. I think I remember when I went to see Beauty and the Beast when it came out with my grandmother. She didn't know we were going to see an animated movie. And when the lights came down and the Disney thing came up, she leaned over and asked, oh, is it animated? And I said, yeah. She goes, oh. God, no. I thought, I thought it was like, a remake of the Cocteau Classic. She just could, she just could, she just couldn't imagine sitting through a, a little kitty movie, which I don't think Beauty and the Beast. I think Beauty and the Beast is for everybody. So, I, I think there's a, you know, if it's not a, if it's not a pure fantasy thing, maybe that's why this wasn't a hit. Maybe there's too, there's too much that does feel like could have been accomplished in, uh, in a live action setting. Although a drawing of a hand unlocking a door is not the same thing as a photo graph of a hand unlocking a door so i don't know that's my I'm trying to, like, I'm, I'm trying to think like i mean because uh, movies around this you have well tarzan came out this year right when well, this is a animated film but it was um, a big hit mm-hmm. it was a big hit at the same time you also like toy story 2 was on the way this this came out yeah. in august that came out in november fantasia 2000 was this year which i saw in theaters um i mean toy but, story and those but, uh, early pixars changed everything South Park came out this year. There's a lot of animated movies that came out this year. <laughs> They're quite notable here. Mm-hmm. The yeah. King and I, Pokemon movie 2000. The King and I. Jeez, I forgot about yeah, that. Wow. I don't know anyone. I don't know any single person who ever saw that. Yeah, they, they did that. I, do you know anybody who ever saw that? 
I don't even know anyone who ever saw the Jodie Foster Chai and Fat version. Not a single person who I know Anna, saw that. And the King. Yeah, I don't think anybody. I don't know anybody who saw. <laughs> it. Who directed that one? I don't know. Some <laughs> jackhole. That's gonna bug. Yeah. Me. <laughs> Hold on. Andy Tent. Wow, Andy Tennant. <laughs> okay. Oh uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, all right. I guess after Ever After, that makes sense. That's a. But I have seen The King and I, which came out 30 years before I was born. So there you go. 20 years. So I think I, I think quality will always out. Andy Tennant also did The Bounty Hunter. It's a Jennifer Aniston movie. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Yeah. With Gerard Butler, right? Gerard Butler. Yeah. 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 They both apologized. Um, here's the Superman stuff. Andy Tennant has a pretty good run here. Hold on. Let's, let's see. The, the, it Takes Two, Fools Rush In, Ever After, Anna and the King, Sweet Home Alabama, Hitch. Well, like, yeah, he was in, he was employed. That's a decent TBS movie run right there. Yeah, I make two star <laughs> movies for a living. He was getting meetings. Yeah. <laughs> his life was good. I'm not sure that ours were that improved by that run, but his was, his was I'm sure he had some cozy uh, times. Good for him. That's a bad, I mean, for a, for a director that not, doesn't have, like, a definable voice is beyond just being, like, you know, easygoing rom-com slash, like, studio comedies. That's not a that's not a bad set of movies to, like, be responsible for if you're in that kind of zone. None of those are any good, really. This, Fool's Russian is fun. Uh, <laughs> Hitch, is, Hitch has its moments. Hitch is the uh, best, and Hitch is only okay, yeah. After that is Fool's Gold, so it all goes downhill, right? Fool's <laughs> Gold, Jesus Christ. I saw that on a plane, I think. Fool's Gold, The Bounty Hunter, and Wild Oats. Want to go find some treasure, Kate Hudson? What is this? All right, all right, all right. We'll go find some treasure. Now the people see the giant and it's like, oh my god, there's an Iron Giant. (laughs) He just saved his kids. We should probably be against him. You know, it's funny. It's based on a book called The Iron Man, and when they had the right, it's the Iron, they changed it from the Iron Man to the Iron Giant to not confuse people with the Marvel character, who at this point was completely obscure still. D list, yeah. If they had if they had named this movie uh, the Iron Man, uh, they still would have called it Iron Man. But it's uh, interesting how things might have changed. <laughs> people be like, "What? Robert Downey Jr.'s playing a giant mechanical robot? No, thank I can't you. grasp that. <laughs> Iron um, Man would have had gone the the last Airbender route." <laughs> Oh, good lord. Marvel's Avatar. Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. Stark Industries. Marvel's the, or the Stark, original the, Iron Man. Marvel's Stark. The, the Iron Man story. War Machines, bud. War... <laughs> you're probably too old. I'm probably too way too old to be admitting this, but there's a... Or you're too young to remember this, but there was a... Do you remember when there was a, when they did the, the Ghostbusters as an animated cartoon show for a few yeah. years in the, oh, 80s, yeah. the real Ghostbusters? The real Ghostbusters. Yeah, and right. at the same yeah. time, they were running a show, an animated show called the original Ghostbusters, yes. based on a show from the fifties or something. Yeah, they had that a was a strange a, thing. There was a there was a gorilla. The gr- yep, um, the gorilla. Yeah, and a guy in like an forest. Is it like Forrest, uh, the guy from F Troop, and like a yeah, wife yeah, yeah. beater and a vest? I, yeah. I, I had, so I I had both the Ghostbusters on VHS like a tape, and I had a real Ghostbusters. TV TV tray when I was young. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. What did people think who didn't understand that when it was called 
People who didn't understand this dichotomy. People didn't care that much back no, then, though. That was I, I can attest to yeah. that. Because well, I was just like, it, it says Ghostbusters. I guess I'm into this. That was my logic called, back then. It's right. called the real Ghostbusters, except the scientist Harold Ramis has blonde hair. This is yeah, he strange... has blonde hair. Vankman, I mean, Murray's not lending his likeness to this kind of thing. So they have like a weird kind of like, there's a guy with brown hair. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, sure, like, I'm sure Aykroyd like, was like there every day on set like because yeah. he loves Ghostbusters. But we also I forget guess... what how huge that cartoon was. Like, it wasn't, people, yeah, yeah. People, people, that ran for like a long well time, actually, had a lot of say. like figure lines. And people were like, Ghostbusters franchise, why do people care so much? Only two movies. I'm like, no, you don't understand. That cartoon was humongous back then. And there was a toy line. Like Ghostbusters, yeah, only had two movies, but there was... It was a phenomenon for just more than those two movies because of that cartoon as well. Well, it's a good thing that Jason Ratman's giving it back to the boys. I mean, the fans. Let's hear it for the boys. <laughs> but, I yeah. love the, 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 any movie where you have character that can suddenly fly and then you have another character or that same character acknowledging the fact that they can fly is probably a great movie. <laughs> like that's like right. There's such a great wonder in the idea of, of that kind of freedom that always gets to me. Like that just that just works. Did not work in Man of Steel for me, but I I think I mean I have other problems with I have other problems with that movie, but again, that scene exactly works. Between that and and Zimmer's score in for those for those sequences, that complete that completely works in my eyes. Or even just a little kid on the dragon's back and never ending story as that scene Uh filling up. Wow, I can fly over. There's just there's something about that. I mean Yep. Or the kid the kids playing uh, football in the sky in Chronicle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it mm. works. Like mm-hmm. it's just like the idea of flying is just such a, it's such a freeing and wonderful kind of concept that I just I just feel like it, it for me at least it just seems like something universally like yeah that's a that's a cool thing. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, a, will believe, you will believe you will believe a man can fly was the tagline of, for yeah, Superman. Not Superman. you will believe a man can see through walls. <laughs> <laughs> can you read my mind? Can you read my mind? We did that commentary. <laughs> We covered that. <laughs> yeah, we covered Still that. my favorite uh, superhero movie by a good measure. That first Superman. It's on the, the Rushmore. That's great, movies. great, great movie. Especially that super duper version that came out for Warner Archive a few years ago. That four oh, hour the, thing. Oh yeah, that thing is awesome. <laughs> I was so happy to see that with every shred of footage ever shot. <laughs> you think Donner will ever be like? Tarantino and be like Superman one and two is one movie. It's just called Superman. <laughs> yeah, I think the, that ship has sailed. I don't think that Superman two felt like much of a movie. His his version. You know? well, 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 I mean, they, they released the Donner cut. I mean, I know, way. but it just felt like an afterthought. The Lester version is so much more. I don't know, complete. I it mean, feels like that Superman too. You know. I mean, it is, but I mean, I, it, it's still. I just. It is funny that they kind of got it. Uh, the Iron Giant's going bad <laughs> right now, and it's like. I love how much firepower they give him. Like, it's kind of wild. It's like, uh, yeah, if this thing turns, like, Earth would be doomed. Like, like Kent Mansley was not super wrong about the idea of a threat here. It's just the happenstance, um, you know, had it on the good side of things. I'm betting, now tell me if I'm wrong, I'm betting there was not a toy 
Iron Giant at the time that could do this, or was there that you could transform into War War Machine Iron Giant? I don't think there were any toys for this. There that's was, a big thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a big reason. Like, I don't even think there were Happy Meal toys, which I th- I think they covered that in the documentary that there wasn't yeah. like there was just no marketing for this thing. Because like a fifty year old guy today will buy that Iron Giant. Well, like thing Mondo that came made out, one. Like, Mon- Mondo yeah, made sure. one. Not, not one of time, the, not one like, of these things, but you know the regular Iron Giants, and it did you know cost like two hundred fifty dollars or whatever. Of course, of course, of course. And the signature edition Blu-ray, the like massive version that I have, it came with a small Iron Giant figure, which I'm happy with. I, I was glad the, way, to the, see the, conf- the imagery of this giant in like battle mode is so War of the Worlds, obviously. Yeah, I was just gonna say I was glad to see confirmed my suspicions today that those tentacles are from the inspired by the tentacles on the War of the Worlds yeah. uh, ships. Mm. I, I mean, that's this era, so I mean, it makes perfect sense. For, I mean, that the movie War of the Worlds. Radio the Nautilus. We, there's a fun yeah. 20,000 Leagues reference right there. Well, I just saw that movie recently. Boy, that movie's great. <laughs> there's a movie where, yes, I, I've been I've been waiting for a blue release of that movie for sure. And that's also a movie where I'm like, remake this movie. Like, I'd so love to see a modern take on 20,000 Leagues. Like, that seems like there's well, so many close there. so many times. I know. Finch, Fincher and Pitt doing that would have been yeah. It would have been wild. Oh, man. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, obviously nobody cares. But that is so great that James Mason, like Kirk Douglas version, is mm-hmm. tremendous. But that and just, all I can that... think of is the stupid Captain Ahab in uh, in uh, Captain Ahab. What am I, an idiot? The Captain Nemo that was Nemo. in the Alex yeah. G, where he's cruising his he's cruising the Nautilus into I mean, the, the canals of Venice. As many problems Maybe I have with that movie, I do love the I do love the production design involving the Nautilus. I was like, oh, they did that. That's whatever. Look at this! Uh, like he has a shoots a little ball and it creates like an oxygen destroyer. Essentially. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's what he has. Always got to bring it back to Kaiju, don't you? He just <laughs> shot it. <laughs> it's an obsession with you. It's good. It should be an obsession. For those, I guess, for those keeping track of these commentaries, since we did Godzilla months ago, uh, mm-hmm. did we speculate that there would be the box set would be the Criterion's? 1, we did. Yeah, we, 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 no, we, it, it yeah. was we were dreaming of it yeah. being it, and then I think it turned to speculation in a later one. It and then true. No, I think it was. I think I guess so. I mean, I had we'd all heard. I, we knew they had the. I knew that we we all knew they had the licenses. Like it, it was a matter yeah. of time for sure. But the speculation was still, you know, a dream. I remember, proposi- I remember a dream 90- proposition of that happening. When I was a Laserdisc nerd in the '90s, I remember Criterion announcing four Godzilla titles, and then they got they got pulled right away. They, they never happened. But I remember thinking, "Wow, Criterion's going to do Godzilla." So they must have just always wanted to do them. I'm surprised that people are complaining about the artwork for that set. It's it's amazing. Cool. Oh my god, the artwork it's is phenomenal. Gorgeous. People are I keep going on these these forums where they're like, "I'm going to buy." empty blu-ray cases and i'm gonna put them in those cases i'm gonna make my own custom art it's like what the hell's wrong with you those are sad forums <laughs> that's a beautiful yeah they are that is a beautiful piece of work that criterion's putting out i can't wait to get my hands on that i what i found from the forums is that nothing everybody screws up cover art all cover art's bad and yeah. uh every release stinks is fucked up and it's got a bad transfer or and, something like this. And yeah. it stills from a thing can tell you everything you, you yeah, without back, seeing it in motion. To get back right. to this movie, real quick, you got you 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 mentioned Ahab and like here we are with like the epitome of that yeah. as far as Mansley goes, where he's literally he sees this thing, 
he sees what it's capable of, but he's also seen what it's not doing. But he cannot get this idea out of his mind that he's right, that the Russians and aliens are going to invade America, and he needs to do everything he can to stop it, including nuking himself. Like, right. And, and then there's this giant heel turn where he, draw, he tries to escape. It's pretty hilarious. Like it, it, it goes to the point of perhaps portraying the character, since mm-hmm. he's trying to cowardly escape his own demise at this point. But at the same time... You see, you see these limits. You see, there's more. Peter's wrong. Peter needs to watch this movie again. <laughs> Peter is wrong. The, I love about animation too. There is no way that the same mm-hmm. species could have a skull shaped like the the, the 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 John Mahoney character and a skull shaped like the Manly character. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, they're so fancifully designed. I mean, I mean, Brad Bird stayed true to that as well. I mean, looking at The Incredibles and even Red yeah, Mr. Like, I mean, that's Mug, Pixar in general. Like, there's, there's, yeah. We've, we're not we're not getting photo real humans in the Pixar in any of them. I mean, are there any animated movies where it's trying to be like photo real people in Pixar? Not just uh, P- Pixar, no, Brave. for sure. I'm trying to think. Of any other. No, even Brave's still stylized. They are stylized, yeah. Well, yeah, Final Fantasy, right? The, the, the I guess yeah, within. yeah, Final Fantasy. Everybody the loved that one. By the way, uh, Peter is wrong was also one of the uh, names kicked around before it was settled on Out Now with Aaron and Aaron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's wrong about this. He knows he is probably wrong about this, but he will refuse to rewatch it for some reason I haven't uncovered yet. There's always some reason why I have a bad take on a movie, and I'll get to the bottom of it, and I'll make him watch it, and it'll change his mind. For 20 years, he was telling me, well, actually not 20, for many, many years, he was telling me that he didn't like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and that it sucked. I'm like, no, you're crazy. You like movies that are worse than that every week. How can you not like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? <laughs> Finally, he turned around on it. But I took some joy from him. He likes to be able to have movies he can say he doesn't like because he likes almost every movie. So when he actually doesn't like a movie that's popular, he kind of he likes that. Anyway, that's a different that's a different topic. He wants to be that edgy guy that doesn't like things that many people like. I think it's once in a while when you luck into that stance, he sort of cherishes it. <laughs> I um, you know, we're watching this basically on mute. Yeah. This scene still is getting to me. Like just like this. I cry. I, I yeah, sure. I, I I wept again in the theater at the at the at the at the, at the last screening of this. There's a few and I mean it even like it goes so big and everything where it's like give, give me a Death Star explosion and all that. But just like that shot of his eyes closing and the light just brightens up. It's 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 so affecting. My uh, soon-to-be wife maintains that this is a movie that makes all the boys cry. I don't know. I, I I slightly resent that. I think this this movie gets its tears honestly and should affect anyone. I mean, it's not but, it, it's not necessarily on the exact same level as ET, but you're getting that same mm-hmm. kind of feeling. As far it's as pretty close. Saying saying yeah. goodbye to something that you formed a bond with. I think that's a pretty universal kind of thing. Although generally, when I cry is more when the pieces all start rolling towards the Antarctic. Oh, that does it That too. really gets there's, me. There's, yeah. there's multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Well, this movie zooms by. We're almost at the end. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Another good thing about animated movies, you, you can't waste too much time on. I mean, there aren't too many hand-drawn animated movies that suck, because you have to, you have to think twice about everything you're going to animate. Because it takes so long, you can't afford to shoot a lot of yeah, extra the, crap. The laws of economy yeah. are especially tight in yeah, animated yeah. films. Anyway, so generally, an animated movie is going to start at like the two-star level, uh, just because it's you know it's not going to be full of garbage filler. Although I've never seen Thumbelina or Troll in Central Park, so who knows?
We should do a Don Bluth movie one day. The one that everyone likes is I loved it when I was a kid. Is that Secret of Nim? But I, I haven't seen it since mm. I was growing up. Yeah, I haven't that seen was Secret a... of Nim or was it The Last Unicorn in forever? Last Unicorn I saw maybe ten years ago. That that that's pretty good. That's a pretty good pre Lord of the Rings fantasy movie. I think I watched American yeah. Tale and uh, Land Before Time last year. Well, they any? I remember them being okay as a kid. I, I, I loved American Tale when I was a kid. I, American Tale has a lot of sweet scenes in it, a lot of sad scenes in it too. Got that damn song yeah. that gets you. It's like, Land oh, Before man. Time is is all nostalgia. Like I think it's good. Yeah. I think there's stuff going on there, but like I think the acclaim it has rides a lot on like you were a kid when you saw this, and they made sure. you know, 20, sure. 27 sequels to it, so it never really left your consciousness. You hear that, Scott Mendelson? <laughs> You, hear you, you still got to write your retrospectives on it. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Don Bluth, is that what is that? We're back. The is dinosaur story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Steven Spielberg presents. I don't uh, know any. Speaking, I don't know a single person who ever saw. Speaking that. of Don Bluth, that, I, 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 not, Titan A.E. Yep. <laughs> Titan A.E. Not 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 only have I seen We're Back, I own I have the VHS copy in a closet very close to me. Well, that's not good. because I like it, just because I have a random collection of VHSs that I just never got rid of. Right. I will say, were you guys into uh, Dragon's Lair or Space Ace? I I, I never kids? grasped how to play them, but I used to watch people play them, and yes. Oh, they were so cool. <laughs> they were really like, cool. Yeah, I was like, oh, I, I'm playing a cartoon. Like that's what it kind of like that interaction. It always seemed like but, you're very very limited by that though. Like you really weren't playing a game. Yeah, you're just. You? Picking it an like option you're, you're fast. paying yeah, for the yeah. movie to watch <laughs> yeah, yeah. in quarter installments. The music by Cayman is what does it for me as far as the emotion on that part of the movie. When just everything leading up to the pieces mm-hmm. getting to the head and the eyes open and everything. And what's nice is at, at no for not even one second do you think that ending is saying sequel, sequel. It's not. It's just that's the end of the movie. And it's it's, a, it's a and so did the box office. It, yeah. <laughs> it's an epilogue. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. more people need to acknowledge that things can have epilogues that don't need to lead to franchising. Yes. And sometimes there it is. Iron Man by Ted ed- Hughes. Trick, Hogarth Hughes is the name of the character, right? Ending. Just wait, though. Just, just wait, though. <laughs> another like, another 10 years to get that Iron Giant sequel because Brad Bird will like, have failed if another original attempt at something. <laughs> Well, they made a sequel to Tron. Yeah. Which I love. It worked the, out. I like that sequel. I like that movie. <laughs> I like Tron a lot. I like the sequel okay. The I like, yeah, I like the sequel okay, but I mean, it could also be, you know, garbage or whatever. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's good fun. And it it's has pretty a good, good score. Yeah. It's pretty good. Great score, yeah. Like, if, you're, if your biggest problem is, like, the, the, the lead white guy is dull, it's like, well, there's a lot of other stuff around that. <laughs> that works yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that used to be okay in fantasy movies that the lead white guy was dull, but now it's not okay anymore. <laughs> well, because because it's because it's like the same four white guys. That's the problem. Right, right. <laughs> it's not like some new guy that you've never seen before. It's always like, oh, Sam Worthington's back, huh? Oh, Taylor Kitsch again, right? Well, oh, I think it used to be like there's too much shit going on. There's no room for him to be anything but dull. Exactly. Yeah, too... yeah. Exactly. And yeah. and meanwhile, Sam Worthington, Taylor Kitsch, and uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and Garrett Hedlund, they well at least Hedlund, they have generally interesting uh, indie roles that they've gone to since Hedlund then. and uh, yeah, and, and Taylor sure. Kitsch has Louis been Davis. much better as a, a second fiddle than he has the, uh, a leading man, which yeah. he always was on Friday Night Lights when they thought, oh, this guy's a star. He was a part of an ensemble, mm-hmm. but you know he's. Much Taylor more interesting. Kitsch, you're talking about 
Yeah, Taylor yeah. Kitsch, yeah. He's a talented guy. He's a good actor. You can think he has that pretty boy syndrome where people will always hold that against him. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, pretty he's, he's, in his, he's in his Brad Pitt 90, early 90s zone. He'll, he'll, he'll age out eventually. Hey, yeah. I'm a big, big, big John Carter fan. And I bet I'm not the oh, only I, one. Oh, I'm a huge John Carter fan. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started. John Carter thought... was very good, yeah. No, I, I I haven't had a problem. Like, honestly, like, I don't like Battleship, but I think the first, like, yeah. opening 20 minutes of Battleship, Taylor Kitsch is trying his hardest to make that work as far as being like dopey comedic lead guy. Like he's like, he's doing, he's doing what Pratt does in, in some of his, his movies that have seemingly worked better for him. Anyway, getting all these credits here. Yeah. Which is a staggering low amount of people compared to what it is now. Yes. <laughs> uh, some Pixar people here, Teddy Newton, Lou Romano, Joe Johnston, Iron Designers. Oh yeah. That guy's like a switch Swiss Army knife. Mark Andrews, the backup director for for Brave. Oh yeah. Like it's always neat to see a lot of these. Like we talked about Toy Story. You got Joss Whedon as a co-writer of that movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oscar nominee Joss Whedon. For that, right? Yeah, for for that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, for uh, for much ado about nothing. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of what else he might. <laughs> Well, I mean, there was other voices we kind of talked. We didn't talk as much about. You had M. Emmett Walsh was in there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Arlie mm-hmm. Ermey was the first person that the 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 uh, giant encountered. Uh, okay. In the film. Uh, uh, Frazier's dad. Yeah, John we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cloris Leachman is the is a school teacher, who probably has a giant amount of vocal credits to go along with her giant amount of film credits. Yeah. At this point. Rob Luker. Hey, George Bingo Ferguson. There he is. Good old Bingo. <laughs> Thanks. Hmm. So, I mean, after Iron Giant, for Brad Bird, it's, what, 2004 when Incredibles comes out. What's he doing in between that time, I guess? Reeling? <laughs> he had a, yeah. Just, just yeah, getting the reputation back. I don't know. I mean, he's, 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 yeah, he's, he's doing stuff with like Pixar in early stages and he's like, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. he could have been working on Incredibles. It's take a while to make. Yeah. Yeah. They I get probably that. hired him right away. Yeah. For sure. As soon as they had success. Yeah. Hmm. No, he was hired by Steve Jobs to work at Pixar. I see. Oh, oh makes sense. Wonder that meeting went. Interesting. Yeah, two, really, two really excited guys. <laughs> yeah. One that's very good at bullshitting. <laughs> Maybe he was taking the time to perfect his Edna Mode voice. Right. Oh, yeah, I forgot to point out uh, who was it? Ollie Johnson and Frank. Uh... Thomas, they had a cameo in here, right? Two of the old Disney Nine Old Men animators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Brad Bird, between Iron Giant and uh, Incredibles, did uh, he animated one episode of Rugrats? So, Eesh. all right, kept kept him busy. 
he was like a consultant with like Clasco or whatever or something like that. He was like a he helped with with uh, getting the that studio started. Like hey, worked on King of the Hill. But what do we got next month here as we wrap things up? We have the 20th anniversary of Stir of Echoes. So oh, fine. Okay. Stay tuned, yeah. folks. Um, <laughs> we didn't do our Sixth Sense commentary, but Stir of Echoes. We didn't yeah. do Sixth Sense, but we will do Seven Degrees of Kevin, or Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Is that what it is? Seven? Six? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the other thing. Ted Find Hughes, who wrote, who wrote the original story, he passed away before this movie came out, which I was, that was an unfortunate thing. Cause it's like, yeah. Oh, was he had, he had involvement here he was a consultant in this movie and it just and part of that was because the movie got pushed i believe like they, they it was or was it pushed or would they just they just wanted to do it like is well i know they put all the effort they could into making this movie that's for sure but it, yeah it, but it had a fluctuating time as far as when it could be completed versus when it could come out hey susan uh, we, this movie's for you i think susan is brad bird's uh, sister who was killed with a gun i think that's yes. why he wanted to make mm, this okay. movie right yes um, let's see, Brandon. We already talked about Chill Factor on the Colts in the Cavalcade podcast, so you guys, we don't need to do a commentary. For Unless that. you want to do it again, it's amazing. <laughs> Which we had, we had David Paymer show up in another movie recently, and I referred to him as action superstar David Paymer. I, I watched Night of the Creeps, which features a young David Paymer. So oh it yeah, all worked out. Yes, yes. Let's see, um, Blue Streak. Another. Oh, TV's I've classic. got a criminal mind. Can't help it. <laughs> such a specific quote from that movie. Uh, we got the keys to the range as well. So, Or no, that was that was a different movie. That was in love, too deep. Yeah, for that's Love of the was. Game, my least favorite Sam Raimi movie. There you go. Oh. These are, just, these are just September ideas as well. American Beauty could be interesting for a variety of reasons. Oh, that would be interesting. American Beauty. Yeah. What's, what's coming out? We got It Chapter 2 coming out too. We could do a Stephen King thing. Yeah. We can do yeah. two two part it commentary for the television version. Yeah, you suggested that one. I know. <laughs> Could do sometimes they come back. So stay tuned next time for <laughs> sometimes they come back and sometimes the commentary comes back. But uh... all right, well, well, that's it. The movie's ended. So uh, let's uh, let's wrap things up here. Where can people find more of you guys online, Brandon Peters? Where where can people find you? Cult Cinema Cavalcade is cultcinemacavalcade.com. Uh, our episode that should be dropping a couple days after this one is uh, a, a favorite film of mine, uh, one I like called like Come in Peace, also known as Dark Angel, which I consider, I'd say, um, if you see what one Dolph Lundgren-led action movie ever, make it that one. Um, it's yeah, Dolph Lundgren's Terminator, Dolph Lundgren's Highlander. It's it's interesting. Uh, and then uh, whysoblue.com, where you can find my Blu-ray reviews. Um, yeah, that's me. That's where I'm at. Yancey, anything on a plug? Uh, just Yancey on uh, Yancey Jack on Twitter or the Milky Way Blues. Easy to find. Um, yeah, that's about it. You can find me writing at uh, We Live Entertainment and Why So Blue. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find this podcast everywhere you can find podcasts. Out now with Aaron and Abe. Search us there, of course. You can find our Twitter and our Facebook page. You know, all that stuff. That's all going to be in the show notes if you don't. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this commentary track. Thank you, Yancey and Brandon, for joining for, for recording this commentary track. Mm-hmm. Thank you. For sure. Yeah. This... Yeah. 
this was a uh, this was fun. A lot of a lot of, a lot, of yeah. a lot of discussion to go along with this one. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's gonna do it for this uh, special bonus commentary track. We'll be back next month with another one of these. We'll be back next week or whatever you listen to this with another regular episode. But until next time, so long and goodbye. We'll see you for the 30th anniversary commentary of Sea of Love, starring Al Pacino. (laughs) (laughs) Time to duck and cover, the bombs are coming down. A radiation shower will pour throughout your town. Hands over your head, deep low to the ground. Time to duck and cover, the bombs are coming down. Duck and cover, duck and cover. Get under the desk with your sister and your brother. Duck and cover, duck and cover. That goes double for your dad and your mother. So hands over your head, keep low to the ground. Cause all the kids that don't will cease to be around.